This is Morgan Slade, and you're listening to my podcast on racism. Racism has been a controversial and touchy subject since the foundation of America. And although some measures have been taken to try and combat racial discrimination, a lot more work is needed to fully combat racism in the U.S. When most American people hear the word racism, their mind probably wanders to slavery, which is a prevalent and sad example of racism in America. But what most people don't tend to think about is the extensive world history of racism that existed even before America became a whisper of a country. Slavery as a concept has existed for centuries. Enslaved people were forced to labor for one another in many different civilizations, and some examples of this are societies in the Hebrew Bible, ancient societies such as Greece, Rome, and Egypt, as well as during other eras of time. Within the Mediterranean and European regions before the 16th century, enslavement was acceptable for persons considered heathens or outside the Christian-based faiths because Christians believed they were doing them a favor for getting them to be slaves for them. It was some sort of justice with God in their minds. And in this world, being a slave was not good, but it wasn't as bad as American slavery eventually got to be. It wasn't for life. It wasn't hereditary, meaning the status of a slave did not transfer from parent to child. And in many cultures, slaves still were able to earn a little money and were still somewhat treated as members of society. They were still able to gather with other people, marry people that they wanted to, and they could eventually save up their small wages and buy their freedom. And similarly, people of darker skin, like people from Africa, were not automatically enslaved or considered slaves. There wasn't any precedent for the race of a slave back then. And then once America was discovered, discovered by Christopher Columbus, people started using the term white to describe European settlers and to differentiate them from the natives that were already in the new land. So this, the term white didn't hold the racial weight that it holds now. It wasn't, it didn't hold the white supremacy, the, all the connotation, the stuff that comes with it when you hear the term white now. It was something that they used to scientifically differentiate between the two different racial groups of people. But then, once America became more established, Europeans started coming and settling, and they were trying to make a country, they started bringing in cheap or free labor from other parts of Europe and Africa. And at this time, servants weren't just black people, it was white indentured servants from Europe, black inhabitants of Africa, many different races. Servants sometimes were given little pay, and they were not sentenced to a life in slavery, and they did not condone their children to the same fate as them. And they were treated slightly better than the slaves that most Americans think of when they hear the term slavery. But they were still treated bad. And then as the country grew, and then the idea of capitalism was introduced, the conditions of the servants turned to pure slavery. Any wages that were given were cut, slaves were sentenced for life, only African people were kept as slaves because of their advanced skills, compared to the European indentured servants, so this created the idea that slavery was African people, was black people. And then in 1662, Virginia enacted a law of hereditary slavery, meaning that any children that female slaves had, even if it was with a white father, they their child was stuck in slavery. And before, it was if the child had a white father, then the child didn't have to be a slave. It was considered the white man's duty to raise this child as his own but 
Once this law was passed in Virginia, it provided a way for white slave owners to rape their slaves and not have to raise the conceived child as their own. And in fact, they got rewarded for these actions with a new slave that could serve them or be traded for other slaves or goods. And these changes began the anti-blackness that is a major part of racism in America. After these changes, white Americans started looking for other reasons to claim that African Americans were less because of their race. The scientific community came together with the racist white Americans and made claims that African people were a completely separate race from the white people, which in their minds justified the cruel and inhumane treatment of African slaves. In a famous study by Dr. Samuel Morton, he measured the skulls of African people and compared their measurements, concluding that white skulls were indeed larger than African skulls. He used this to say that because white people's skulls were bigger, they had room for a bigger brain. And obviously, a bigger brain means more intelligence. So he published this study that said because Americans had a wider head, they were biologically more intelligent than their African counterparts. And he gave this to the people, and the people used it to justify the horrible treatment of African people. And as this racism, these racist ideas buried themselves deeper and deeper into America, the U.S. government itself even made a number of court rulings that showed the government also had a racist stance. They were also against people of color. In one particular famous Scott uh, case, in the Dred Scott versus Stanford case, the Supreme Court ruled that they wouldn't even take the case because a colored person was not recognized as a U.S. citizen. Because Dred Scott was an African-American, he could not have the right to a case in court because he was not white. And he, they ruled this because he was considered a white man's property. And then this court, this ruling set the president for what we recognize as white privilege and the thinking that if you weren't white, you didn't matter in America. And it established that black people were thought of as property and therefore had no rights under the Constitution. In fact, because black people were white people's property, white people had a right to control these black people because they were property. They used the Constitution and this belief that black people were their were their property to justify their slavery. Then the Civil War came along, and afterwards economics shifted to free labor. It was a little different than before, but it was too late to take the racism out of America. It was already so deep in there. They, the racist values that were practiced at this time were too prevalent in the minds of America, and whites could still benefit from cheap labor. And who better to use than the black people that they have been brainwashing everyone to think were biologically lesser than them so they could exploit the Africans' work? And many whites, especially in the South at this time, claimed there was no race problem and that everything was as it should be. The roles were perfect, that white people were supposed to be in charge of black people. They were supposed to work for them. They were doing them a favor. They were giving them a better life than they had. And some people, like Christians, tried to say that they were saving their souls. They were trying to help them, not even in this life, but into the next life. They tried to justify their slavery with their religion. And in another court case, the Plessy versus Ferguson case, it created this separate but equal thinking that encouraged segre extreme segregation in America and brought the racism to another level. And this case further established what today we call white supremacy, and this swept over the nation. White Americans still at this time were relying on their scientific racism to justify their cruelty and didn't see a problem with it. 
and then as america grew increasingly attached to their new racism they continued to set other ethnic groups outside their perfect white circles so it was no longer just african people it was everybody scientists came up with a theory that white skin meant superiority and that scientifically the darker the skin the inherently inferior the person was this was published and given to the people, and this created the idea that American meant white, and if you weren't white in America, you weren't a person with rights or privileges. And people used these scientific findings to back up their racism because they knew people would listen to experts. They knew that if somebody who could back it up with data and hard facts instead of the moral argument that slavery created, people would be more willing to participate and to not go against the racist behaviors. And after a long period of this, of racist whites not facing any hard opposition to their sick way of life, the civil rights movement started to take wind. In 1948, Harry Truman is issued an executive order to end segregation in the armed forces. Then in 1954, several court cases together established the ending of racial segregation in American schools. And we know that the integration didn't actually happen for a couple more years, but it at least set the law precedent that they could. They had the right under the law. Then in 1955, the famous Emmett Till case happened where he was brutally murdered for apparently flirting with a white girl. He was talking to a white girl, and white people murdered him for doing this because as a black person, he should not have been talking to her. So this case went to court, and the court acquitted it. And a lot of people were angry about this, and it brought a lot of attention to the civil rights movement and helped people to kind of see more of what was going on. And in the same year that this happened, Emmett Till case happened, uh, Rosa, Rosa Parks famously did not give a pursuit to a white man on the Alabama bus. And then in 1957, nonviolent protests were started up in Georgia with leaders from several southern states, one of the leaders being Martin Luther King Jr., and in the same year, the famous Little Rock Nine were integrated into a previously all-white school, which didn't go great, but it at least started the motion that would happen everywhere in America, that the schools would become, no, they would integrate all colors, all races into the schools, that they wouldn't be separate anymore. And then the Civil Rights Act of 1957 was signed into law, protecting voting rights of all American citizens, no matter race or skin color. Many other events happened after this to the civil rights movements, and then in 1963, Martin Luther gave his famous speech to large crowds, bringing even more momentum to the civil rights movement. These are just a few of the civil rights movements taking place in the mid to late 1900s that have given black people the right to vote, be protected under their constitution, and function as basic members of society. And it's sad that we had to do this as a country, that these people just like us, had to fight for the rights that we gave ourselves because we were human, and we tried to take those rights away from them. And then after this, after everything kind of came integrated and people started being more accepting of different races, nothing super big happened. America kind of gave itself a pat on the back for recovering from this, tried to elect well, did elect um, an African-descended President Barack Obama and decided that, that that was a big step in fixing racism in America because we had a black president. We as Americans were no longer racist. But 
this wasn't really the case because our country was built by men that believed slavery to be okay many aspects of our country and its culture still have racism embedded in them and one example of this today could be employment rates differing between different racial groups just little things like that that have never really been removed and those kind of things can be fixed by the government the government still has a lot of work to do but we as americans still have work to do to try and fix the racial discrimination in america too the first step to fixing this problem is to spread awareness. Awareness is the always the first step in fixing a problem. But unfortunately for us as Americans, there's still a lot of denial or obliviousness towards the racial discrimination in our country. Our first goal as a country should be to spread this awareness and to open our eyes to see what's been going on since the founding of our so-said-to-be-free country. Of course, you can't help ignorant people or blatantly racist people that just want to do it to be racist, but the goal of spreading awareness is to inform those that may be undecided on the subject or just don't know what's going on. We can help these people realize that even some of their reflexive thoughts are racially discriminant, and that each of us is a part of the problem, and we share the facts that we have and let people decide to take action if they see fit. We can't make anybody do anything. And then, after we spread awareness, we need to cultivate some empathy for these people, these racial groups that have to suffer. Because as a white person myself, I have never had to face the difficulties and discrimination that many other races have had to face in our country. Just because I was luckily born to white parents. So in order to try and help this racism to combat it, these we as white Americans have to empathize with them. Since I'll probably never have to face these issues in my life, I have to find it in me to try and put myself in their shoes and to really open my eyes to what's going on, to not be biased towards myself and people like me, and to understand how terrible the racism really is in America. After this, another step is taking responsibilities for our mistakes, admitting that we were wrong, and speaking out for others when we see this racist behavior happening. And this step is really hard for some people because society creates it to be almost embarrassing when you call people out about their racist behaviors and they think their peers will make fun of them for standing up against the societal norms of racism. People might say they're being too sensitive or that they need to just let it go. I've heard a lot of people say that, even my parents say that. And one example of someone standing up and getting shot down by people um, is my sister. Some of the kids in her class were using a specific racial slur and she asked them not to and politely explained that it was disrespectful to people of that color and it was not okay to use for any reason, especially in a professional environment like a school building where there were students of that color learning there. And instead of trying to listen to her, just being like, yeah, we shouldn't say that, everyone in her grade started going up to her specifically using this racial slur. Even students that wouldn't normally say this word were going out of their way to say it to her, all because she decided to call someone out on their racist behavior. And because society told the kids in her class that that was what they had to do. She wasn't allowed to say that because that was wrong of her to accuse someone of being racist. And examples like these may intimidate people and scare them away from standing up for what's right, but it's a step that needs to be taken, and more people can start caring and taking actions. And the more people that do this, the more it will become normal in society, which will eventually lessen the harassment and social isolation that can follow encounters like these. It might be a hard step, but the only way to fix a societal problem is to go against society until society eventually goes against the wrong behavior related to the problem. Obviously, these simple steps are just the beginning of fixing the racial problem in America, and they aren't any big government campaigns or laws. But we as the people of our country need to try and take actions for our own problems. The government can tell us 
what we should be doing, what we should be thinking, but we ourselves have to decide to make the change. An example of this is when coronavirus had the government recommended that we should wear masks, and a lot of Americans said, no, I'm not going to do that. And that proves that we as the people have to decide to do it. Because we have a government that represents the people and won't force us to do anything, we have to make the change in ourselves. It takes the desires of the citizens, the people, to truly bring about a change. So when you say there's nothing you can do to try and solve the racist epidemic in America, you are completely wrong. When you say that you're not a politician, you don't hold any value in our society, you do as a person, as a person that has friends, as a family member, as someone who has influence on other people. You as a person in society can do everything to try and solve this problem. You can't do it alone, but societal changes take the actions of just one or very few people to get started. Once you start making these changes, other people that might look up to you might start making these changes, and slowly this group grows and grows and grows until most of society agrees with that thinking. And I think that this is getting better in our country, but a lot more could happen to bring more attention to this problem, especially in areas like ours, where these beliefs are so heavily integrated. So we as Americans need to have courage, take responsibility, and make the changes that we want to see everyone else make. Then maybe we will have a shot at trying to rid the country of this awful plague that has followed our nation since its birth. Then maybe we can try to cover the scars that racism has left in our country, and we can truly establish America as a free country for all.